Welcome to the Jesus Collective Podcast. We're a network that exists to provide relationships and resources to amplify a Jesus-centered movement, and we seek to embody a more hopeful vision of following Jesus in our cultural moment. Join us as we learn from those who are looking to live out a greater Jesus centricity in their areas of leadership and mission. If you're new to Jesus Collective, welcome. Check us out on social media or at JesusCollective.com for ways you can connect to this growing movement. Okay, let's get into today's podcast. Well, welcome to the Jesus Collective Podcast. It is me, Paul Walker, one of your hosts. I'm so excited for our conversation today. And joining me as co-host is the prestigious and lovely John Han. John, I see you. Prestigious and lovely. Wow. I don't that's a new one. I always get prestigious, of course. Always. Of course. But lovely. That's that's a new addition. So of course. Yeah, I think. My wife says, like, oh, the hand guy, because, like, she jokes that I have a man crush on you. So, John oh. Handsome. So, there you go. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's uh, that's a new one, too. Look at that. What? You've never got John Handsome before? I have not. Let's let's put these people out of their misery. <laughs> like, I don't know like, like if you've. If you're listening by audio, by podcasts, maybe you, you've never benefited from seeing John's face. But he has a nice face. It's not just for radio. <laughs> Good to know, Paul. Good to know. So John, what can you tell us about what's going on at Jesus Collective these days? Yeah. Hey, uh, we are excited. We are uh, kicking off our Unite conference. And so, uh, in fact, Marlena, who's with us today, is going to be one of our presenters at Unite. And we are really excited. We would love for you to go to our website and learn more about Unite, our in-person gathering. It's a global gathering. We know already of people from around the world who will be there, from Europe, from Australia, Canada, the U.S., uh, and places we don't yet know will be represented there. Um, we will be there um, in April in St. Paul, Minnesota, at Woodland Hills Church, April 24 to 26. The theme of our podcast or of our Unite conference is prophetic church, a church renewed by Jesus can surprise the world. And so we are excited to um, see how Jesus will surprise us at Unite and the ways that he will infuse this movement with a greater synergy around him to amplify what he's doing in the world um, through us and in us. So uh, I hope you are able to check out the website and join us in April. Mm, that sounds like an exciting event. Like I, I always love showing up in person. Like there's something that happens there that just can't happen on Zoom and other places. It's mm -hmm. it's exciting. So looking forward to that. Anything else going on? Um, we have an online learning collective. So that's a six-week learning adventure, a cohort of leaders, diverse cohort of leaders, uh, really le leaning into six aspects of Jesus' ministry and doing a deep dive on how does the words, ways, wisdom, works of Jesus impact our leadership and discipleship in a polarized world. We'll be learning from experts in conflict resolution, in kind of justice advocacy. So we'll have Greg Boyd will be with us. Drew Hart will be a part of that. We have a friend from Africa named Isa Mbolo, who has 
developed a, a ministry there called Peace Clubs that's like literally changing countries in Africa. Mm. And we are really excited to learn from people who are putting this like centrality of Jesus in our polarized time, putting it into action and it's changing the world around them in beautiful ways. And we want to learn from that. That's another exciting opportunity. I know as uh, like, I'm a pastor, I'm a leader in a church and I can attest that these online learning collectives, they're just packed with transformative potential. I think some of my, my, my greatest experiences uh, in the last couple of years have happened in those settings. It's so good. So good. Right. Well, speaking right. of transformative experiences, I think we're about to have one today because we have a very special guest with us. Her name is Marlena Graves, and she's the Assistant Professor of Spiritual Formation at Northeastern Seminary on the campus of Roberts Wesleyan University. She's written five books and been interviewed by such outlets as The New Yorker and Relevant. She's a regular guest on podcasts and speaks with students, congregations, organizations, and retreat groups all about life in God. She adores her husband, Sean, uh, who's a philosophy professor, and her three daughters. She likes anything to do with Puerto Rico, laughing, dancing, going to monasteries, and being out in nature. She and her family live in Rochester, New York area, and I'm just so delighted to welcome her to the podcast, uh, where we're going to be discussing her book, Bearing God, Living a Christ-Formed Life in Uncharted Waters. Marlena, welcome to the podcast today. Thank you so much. Um, there's, I have a major problem right now because I haven't started stopped laughing since your introduction. <laughs> Uh, and your comments to John. And it's really bad when that happens in church and I'm leading the service sometimes. Or uh, there's times where I had to run to the bathroom because I'm laughing so hard I'm crying. So I'm going to have to get myself together now. And it's all your fault, Paul. Thanks a lot, Paul. Look what you did. Do you know what that is, Marlena? That is my Pentecostal upbringing right there. Because we like laughter and we like response, right? Like that call and response. I'm responding. I'm responding. And Puerto Ricans like to have fun. So, yeah, we're going to start with fun and which is part of formation. I don't know how we'll get that into the questions, but that's right. uh, Joy is welcome. So. Oh, good. Joy of the Lord is my strength. So Marlena, what else can you tell us about yourself? I read a bit of a bio. What do you know, what's unique and curious about you that we need to know? Oh, I have no idea. Um, let's see. I grew up speaking Spanish. I grew up poor. Um, I don't know about what makes me unique because you know how people have different views of people. I mean, I know how I see myself, but I really don't know how people see about me like okay I'll tell you something very unique right now I'm wearing my favorite sweater that I've had since college I thought the occasion I got it at a secondhand thrift store it's very colorful like Joseph's uh, colored coat with stripes Mm. and I thought this was the occasion for it because it makes it's my happy sweater so I'm wearing my happy sweater on this podcast that's something unique about me I guess you Um, you know you have a strong inner Mennonite when you've had a sweater from university that you still wear yeah, so, that's right. It may, still works. That's right. Be the night like, be with me. <laughs> there you go. Well, Marlena, it has been like a joy reading your book. Like I, I was in tears at times. Aww. And especially the first four words of your book. The first four words were 
my mother is dead. Mm -hmm. And you tell the story about finding yourself alone in a church. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's Father Herb there, and he's reading from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4. And it's the story of Jesus calming the storm. And you're sitting there, your mom has died. You have been through like this period of just like exhaustion, Mm -hmm. 10 months of her chemo battle. Mm -hmm. Uh, And in that moment where you hear the gospel, um, the gospel of Mark chapter four, and you hear this story about Jesus calming the storm, uh, you tell us that you made a surprising discovery. And so I'm curious just to bring our listening audience into kind of the context of your book what was the discovery you made in that moment so i'm sitting in the cath mass on a saturday in july my mom died on june 21st of that year um and you know nothing i wasn't expecting anything extraordinary to happen i was just listening to the gospel being read and father herb was the priest and he read mark chapter four as you said and it's about jesus asleep in the boat and One thing about me, I don't know, maybe this is unique, but I always picture myself whenever people are talking or telling a story. Maybe that's why I was laughing so much about your comments about John. But whenever there's a professor, anything, anytime I'm listening to someone, a lot of times I get like a mental picture of what's happening. And that's how I remember stuff. People are like, oh, you remember your name, my name, because I associate it with something. Right. I saw I write my books from my mental pictures. So that was a mental picture I got. I was in the scripture. I was like, just picturing the boat and stuff. And I'm like, all of a sudden after it was read, I'm like, I felt like I was the boat carrying Jesus. I was like, what? Like, you know, this was not like an on purpose Lexio Divina practice. Um, but that's just, uh, how it came out. And I just stayed with that. And then a little bit later on, I'm like, okay, I'm in the boat carrying you. You're in the storm, but I'm the boat carrying you. I'm like, can you just tether me to like a marina or by the seashore so I could just let the gentle waves lap and move me back and forth? Because I don't want to go out into the storm or hurricane. I've, I've had my share of storms and suffering. I call a timeout, like, you know, give me a break, Lord. So that's basically what it was. I'm curious about this idea of you I mean, this is this is flipping the way that we typically think about Jesus, uh, you know, on its on its end in the sense of usually it's the footprints in the sand. I'm being carried, you know, by Jesus. He's bearing me. You're saying you're bearing Jesus. Yeah. And like unpack that. What, what does that mean to you when you say that you're you're bearing you're carrying the Christ? What does that mean? Yeah, I mean, it's just a different metaphor. I'll be very basic here. We're God's temple. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you know, people say, ask Jesus into your heart. Like, uh, is it in Matthew 14? Where God's like, you know, I'll come with you and live with you and we will make our home in you. That's God mm-hmm. making our home in us. So in a yes. way, I could have talked about, I think that was the old little book, Your Heart, Christ's Home or something like that. But like, We carry God within us. And I was just talking to my students last night. And I think there's physical, I don't think it's just like a spiritual thing. I think it affects the physical, right? So um, I'm not going to go too far off on this, but you know, like the time that Moses spent with God, his face shone from being in the presence of God. I think 
uh, I think even Dallas Willard referred to this one time about the faces of the saints. And he said, especially elderly people, but people that just been with God, they have sort of brightness to them. Yeah. And I think that's why the Eastern Orthodox and other people, you know, they say like um, uh, St. Teresa Lizia, when she died, there was a fragrance like her bones smelled, you know, because of caring God. So I am not a Gnostic, <laughs> you know, our bodies and our souls uh, mm-hmm. together, but I actually do think there's um, something supernatural that uh, I haven't quite Maybe no one has right, wrapped their mind about, although I think the Eastern Orthodox Church and Catholics are closer to it than maybe me. So, mm. yeah, certain, certainly it made me think, and you mentioned this in the book about this idea of Mary, the Theotokos, the mm-hmm. God bearer, mm-hmm. and that we too bear God in our lives. It was mm-hmm. this very impactful metaphor. I'm curious, you already kind of referenced this that like you get this image, you are the boat. The mm-hmm. and I laughed when you said you said I am the Santa Marlena. Which oh, yeah. is hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I just uh, thought of like, you know, bad man Columbus, <laughs> la Niña La Pinta and Santa Maria. And I just Santa it's a good, Maria, it's Marlena, a good yeah. ship name. It's a yeah, good ship thank name. You. Uh but like you, you've already mentioned at this, like your first reaction to seeing yourself as the boat is like Lord, put me on the docks. I need yeah. rest. Don't yeah. put me out to see the storm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm just curious, like, what was true of your life at that time that that was the honest cry of your heart? And yeah. what did God say to you in that place? You know, God at a different time. I, I feel like the Lord has like a just kind of a blunt way with me sometimes, very gentle and caring. But then he's like, you know, like when I said, like, that day I said, okay, keep me tethered and later on. He's like, you're not, you're not going to stay at shore. That's not what boats are made to do. They're made to go out to sea. And in this book, going out to sea is a metaphor for yes, bearing God, but embracing God's will as we bear him. Right. Mm-hmm. And discernment and discerning God's ways. So Lord's like, you know, yes, you can get rest and I'm not against rest. Some of us have to be towed into shore. You know, if we've been heard in churches, I mean, and I talked about this later, some of our ships are rammed by other Christian ships and they're like skeletons, like Paul and Acts when he was like floating on a cardboard, there's very little left of what we're, of our, our boat, uh, skeletal, but still bearing Jesus. And we need to be towed to shore to be rested and taken care of, uh, the way that Elijah was in Acts or first Kings, right. 17 to 19. So, Mm -hmm. um, but I was just like, you know, basically I was like, I put my time in a lot, you know, I know I haven't suffered as much other people in the world, you know, just my mom dying was like an icing on cake. Right. But, um, I was like, I just need a rest. Like I deserve a rest from this. So I, and the Lord's like, yeah, fine, but you're, you're not going to stay docked in, uh, you know, I think again, in acts like the fair havens forever, you have to move out, you know, eventually. And so, um, that's what I thought. And then I read a month later, I was like, Oh my gosh, I read this book or read this quote by, is it shed the Charles shed? Yeah. The boats aren't made to stay ashore. They're made they're to go not, out to sea or something like yeah, that. I can't not even made, quote they're it. Not made for the Harbor. Yep. Right. Yeah. Thank you. See. And I was like, are you kidding? Cause I had never read that quote before. Like I'd never come across it. I'm like, okay, I get, I get what you're trying to tell me, Lord. We're not meant to stay in the harbor. Okay, I'm going to embrace your life. The sea can be beautiful. It could be dangerous. But you don't want me to stay docked unless I'm convalescing, of course, right? Like, you do need time to heal. But then you heal and you go back out. 
I mean, embracing God's will could be going to the harbor, right? Because you're going to go heal and convalesce and sure. take a rest. I mean, we've got to do that every week. But um, that's what I was thinking. But I'm, I'm curious about that because, you know, uh, what we're seeing in the landscape today among pastors, and and I think it ripples beyond, uh, you know, pastors are exhausted because their people are exhausted or mm-hmm. their people are anxious and so pastors are exhausted because they're absorbing the anxiety of their people. And uh, that sense of like, we need to convalesce and we need to harbor. But then you're saying we were made for the open water. We were made to go bear God in the open sea. Like how, what, what would be some wisdom for our pastors who are listening or weary leaders who are trying to discern, oh man, you know, uh, I know I'm supposed to be out, out at sea. That's what I'm here for. But like their anchor is weighing them down. They're just tired and they want to mm-hmm. put down anchor. They want to, they actually want to run away. Mm-hmm. And, and so like help us with that balance. When do we know to stay in the Harbor? When do we know to get back out there as we're bearing God in these anxious mm-hmm. times? So I think it's a couple things. I think for most pastors, Go to Harbor. Like you've stayed out too long. Take Sabbath. Take a year off. I mean, I don't know how many of your congregations. I think pastors are the worst people at um, taking Sabbath. I tell my students all the time. I'm like, ministry will kill you. So you better take time off and not have your whole life be about ministry. You have to have something outside of it. Like it can't be your whole life because that's not your whole life. Um, and so for, I think it depends on where you are in your life. Like there's some people that are like, okay. Um, they sense God, like they sense God trying to, uh, encourage them to move on, to take a next step of faith, but they don't want to, cause they're scared. That's a different type of situation than someone that's been out to sea. uh, you know, uh, what do you call it? Like in the military, you've been out for like months, um, and you need to come back in and you need to rest. So like for pastors, I would say, do not feel guilty. And I think it's, you know, it's, I know you have people all around the world uh, listening to this podcast, so I can't speak for other countries. I'll just speak for the sure. United States. Yeah. Um, except for Puerto Rico, people are more laid back, but um, <laughs> the um, it's like, you know, the rat race, the Christian rat race, you feel like you have to get people into church. It's just, we are so... I'm going to write a book about this sometime. It kind of a twist on Luther's book, but uh, being, you know, the cultural captivity of the church to like the Western culture. I mean, God's ways are so not contrary everything in the West, but the speed of life and the expectations that either congregants or pastors place on themselves or their supervisors. It's, It's so whack. It's so business. It's like, you know, produce, 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 produce. And when you're done, oh, sorry, you burn out. We'll move on to the next pastor. You know, yeah, like it's just ridiculous. Sorry, you could sense my annoyance about that. But Preach. so, so I, I, you know, Eugene Peterson, other people talk about this. Marvadon, you you have to be countercultural as a pastor. So if someone's reading my book and saying feeling guilty because they need rest, that's not what I'm saying. All I'm saying is like you can't live. For like 40 years in the harbor, right? Like, you know, Moses was in the wilderness. God was rehabilitating him. And then uh, I don't think it was just so he could go lead Egypt. I think he was, he was cared about the kind of character Moses became, but 
he empowered him in the wilderness and the rest from the Egyptian ways. I talked to John about this, I think yesterday. So he, he rehabilitated Moses. So Moses didn't use Egypt's ways to accomplish what Moses believed to be God's will. So that's why I'm like, pastors, you need to rest. Leaders, even if you're not a pastor, any kind of ministry leader, you don't have to be in the church. I think we're the worst at it. And so I try to practice what I preach, you know, um, and maybe I need more rest than a lot of people, but I can't just stay here, you know, because you can kind of get stuck and be like, okay, if that's your call, maybe you you go rest and you're like, you know what? I think I'm called to do something else right now for this season of my life. And that's okay. Like you don't, we're not superhuman, right? We act as if we're supposed to be superhuman, be able to be all things to all people and do all things. And um, I just think that's satanic. And demonic, actually. We, we, we think we're gods. So, and we yeah. don't know it. Not that we're trying to be demonic and satanic. I just mean, yeah. that's how we get defeated. I think I even mean in the spiritual realm. So, come the Pentecostal, whatever. But you know what I'm saying. So, yeah, there's a, there's a power and principality at work that yes. is blinding. I mean, Ephesians says blinding the minds of unbelievers, maybe right. blinding the minds of believers. Uh, as a part of that from from what the true power we hold is and this mm-hmm. is you know this is what that's the metaphor they're using of bearing god mm-hmm. is also a powerful it's a powerful metaphor in that what we're bearing in us is power yeah, like god's life god's that's grace. right that's right living life and so so when you say blinded the mind of unbelievers Yes, right. And of course, we have compassion for people, but then we take on the ways and means of unbelievers, and that wrecks us, right? And so it's it's subtle, right? Because we we, I mean, it's not robbery, murder. Maybe it's not like sexual perversions and sins, but it's contrary to the kingdom ways of knowing, being, and doing. So, hmm. Speaking of like kind of the kingdom ways of knowing, being, and doing, like so much of like what you offer us in your book is this idea of being led, that Mm -hmm. that we bear Christ and that we need to be led by God and neighbor, led by Mm -hmm. our loves and joys, Mm -hmm. led by our place, led by discernment, led through our end. And so Mm -hmm. I'm curious if you have anything to say to those of us that struggle with that idea of we're not the captain of the ship. We're right. bearing the captain of the ship, this Jesus. What does it what does it mean for people that struggle not to be the captain of our own boat and to just be the boat? Yeah, you know, we we all want to control things, right? I mean, we we have very little control of things. And I'm not saying we don't have control of like our passions. That's not what I'm saying. But like I can't say, hey, Hamas, Israel, knock it off. They're not gonna listen to me, right? The war. Or I'm like, okay, yeah. president, why don't you take my advice? Or how to uh, keep people housed and end poverty, right? I mean, I'm not saying that one person doesn't matter, but I am not Christ. I'm not going to save the world. I can't save the world. I can't even save myself. But I can yield to God, right? And so, um, so you're. I'm sorry. I think I lost my stream of thought, Paul. You're asking for those of us that have struggle with think, being led. Yeah, I, I. You know what? I think maybe it's just that know that God has our best in mind and he loves us. Like, Mm. you know, every good and perfect gift comes from above. God delights in us. God's a good parent. So, um, 
not that I'm perfect, right? I do have my struggle. I had a struggle this summer when we're moving. I'm like, okay, God, this is so stressful. There's no way I can do anything. I can do nothing about this. So you're going to have to make it happen. And didn't he do it, right? <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, okay. So I'm, I'm moving forward a little bit in my faith. I'm like, I can't, it doesn't matter if I stress out. You're going to work this out because you called me to Rochester. So you got to do it. That's basically what I said. You got to figure it out because mm. I can't, right? Um, and I just think that, I don't know, maybe people grew up with a sort of theology and culture where like God's will was made to seem like it's like the most awful thing on earth. Like you're going to have to die. I mean, maybe you will be a martyr. I don't know. But like um, that when people hear, and I even wrote my other book, the way up is down about this is they go together like uh, humility and kenosis, emptying yourself. It's so that you're full of God and God's the best life, the best thing. Right. So um, what I'm trying to say is, like, you are being led by your joy. Like, listen, you guys are all part of the Jesus Collective, right? And I recently heard about you in the last year, and I talked to John and heard of all the wonderful things that are happening. And I'm like, these are my people, wonderful people. But what I'm saying is you're all together in this collective. Something in your lives with your joys and passions and loves brought you together, Right. And it's bringing other and it is enfolding other people. So God's taking the things that you love and that you enjoy and that you care about. And he's doing something through this and other things in your life. He's not saying, oh, you want to bring people together in order to show them that there's more than polarization. Uh, I'm going to make it hard for you. I mean, I think obstacles come and I think, you know, there's a spiritual battle. But God has put these special loves and joys in your heart. So that you bring about his uh, goodness and his life through you, through what you're through the channel that you're in right now. Right. Mm. I didn't, I, you all and other people, I didn't found this collective. I'm a Marlena come lately. Right. But I get to see, I get to see like the good things happening and I get to uh, partake in it because of your obedience. Mm. So when I'm saying, when we say, okay, God, I tell the Lord exactly what I think, you know, I'm like the Psalms. I'm like, I think this sucks. I don't understand what you're doing. I take freedom from the Psalms. I'm like, they pray that way. I'm going to pray that way too. I mean, maybe it's the prayer of the poor. You got to, you know, throw the kitchen sink at God when you're upset or whatever, but just say, Hey, I, this is what I'm going through. This is my perspective. I know I don't see everything. And this is my desire. Like, blah, blah, blah. and then let me tell you, like, I was like, God, I, I don't know how much time we have left. I don't want to go on and on, but I do want to say that like our current living situation, is everything we desired everything with all the odds against us. Right. Um, because we came into, a, we were renting a house, but we're like, I'm happy to be in a really small house. I know what it's like to be poor. I don't, you know, it's not that for me. Um, but you know, where are we going to, it was so hard to find somewhere to live, especially from out of state because people didn't call you back or whatever. I'm like, okay, Lord, we have like two weeks. We need somewhere to live. You better give us somewhere. You know, we sold our yeah. house. We're waiting somewhere to live. Someone got to call us back. You know, we'll take whatever now at this point. Um, and the, I'm like, I told my daughters, like, all your prayers, you, you prayed for this, you asked for this, this is like, look, the whole thing, every single thing. Now, sometimes we don't get that. You know, sometimes it's like, no, for whatever reason. So I'm not saying they name it and claim it, but I'm like, in every situation, God desires are good. Now, the caveat, you know, if you've read the book is like, if you're in a toxic situation, if it's a death dealing situation, like Paul and other people that escaped the city wall, you know, and, uh, you know, Jesus, 
Mary and Joseph, they fled to Egypt when Herod was trying to kill them. I'm not saying stay in a bad situation. If you know, like, it's just like, I'm, I have no life here. Let me, you know, uh, brush the dust off my feet. Like, that's just common sense. That look, It's not so common by some, because some people stay in places longer than they should, right? Hmm. Like, there's, I could do no more miracles here, right? Because I'm not accepted, <laughs> right? Hmm. So, so I think if we believe that God truly, and I think this comes from our relationship with God and what we think about God, if truly loves us, he truly enjoys us, he truly seeks our good. That doesn't mean people won't get cancer or die or there won't be a war. But in my mind, when I'm talking to you here, I don't have missiles. I don't have my children being slaughtered like people around the world. I have to believe I've been in hard situations, not war, but like, you know, poverty type situations. Yeah. And I mean, even in poverty, when you don't have food or you're waiting for something to happen, I'm like, God, I know God loves me. I don't know why, you know, this is happening, but I'd like to have something to eat and a warm, you know, warm house. I don't have it right now, but God is somewhere in what we would deem living hells for people. Like it's not his will that people die and have violence happen to them, but God is somewhere in there. And I think maybe he's suffering with them, you know? Uh, so I think like, even in a way that I can't understand because of my limited understanding, God mm-hmm. is present in are living hells and not that he's allowing it not that he's you know wanting abuse or whatever to happen but he himself went through a living hell and literal hell so <laughs> i i have to think jesus has suffered like we haven't always so i really do believe in the love of god i think that's how we get through it like i like god really likes you paul you have a good personality and john <laughs> and all the people that i'm seeing here um i don't want to give away people's names right but i i think god really enjoys us and loves us the way that healthy parents or healthy aunt and uncles or whatever, you know, mm. love people like just take yeah. great delight. Like when mm. a child is born, you take such delight in a miracle. I think that's God's constant posture towards us. Sorry. Does that make that's sense? Good. That's such a, like a helpful corrective. I think there, you know, especially as you like named that, like the theosis, the self emptying, we often see it almost through this lens of self punishment. Like there's mm-hmm. an old, Simpsons episode where I think Reverend Lovejoy says, you know, what don't the kids love about Our Lady of Perpetual Sorrow? Like there's this <laughs> there's this sense of like we have to feel awful. Yeah, and like no. I, I appreciate that. Hey, this is for the fullness of God. This is yeah. for receiving the, the goodness of, of Jesus. Which is like joy, right? Your joy be made complete. Like I always wonder what kind of jokes jesus and his disciples told like what makes god laugh i must make god laugh so i'm like god i think jesus of- cracked some good ones yeah like- he, god has the best sense of humor in existence right because he made us and he made us funny i'm like stuff i see online i'm like some people are so funny and i just cry laughing and i thank god for them right so yeah. i think there is sorrow and pain in the world but there is a lot yeah. of goodness and our eyes are trained to see evil only i think we have to now ooh, work ooh, ooh. at seeing good because we're not out in nature and outside. We're trained to only see evil. We filter out the good, right? That's so fight or flight, fight. right? Oh, I, I don't that... know. I'm not trauma informed. So, I mean, I shouldn't say I'm trauma informed. I'm trauma informed by accident. I don't know all the words. <laughs> I think that's an inter- I think it's an interesting um, observation that, and this is what social media, you know, this is the intersection of, spiritual formation Mm -hmm. and technology which is technology is forming us spiritually right and technology 
the forming of technology and the way it's impacting our brains is that it's training us to only spot evil mm-hmm. or only spot the things that we are not enough of, or mm-hmm. there's too much of in the world that mm-hmm. are overwhelming. Um, that's a really interesting idea. Can I, can I pivot us a little bit? Please. I want to, I want to pivot us over to your other, some of the themes in your other book, the way up is down. Uh, when you come to our unite conference in, in um, April, you are going to talk on control. So uh, the theme that you'll speak around is, you know, a, a church that's obsessed with power and control has nothing to offer a culture that's obsessed with power and control. Mm-hmm. And we believe that Jesus liberates us from the powers and principalities from what they're telling us is how to have power. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm really curious your take on that. And, and how does that intersect? Because I have the conversation with you yesterday. How does that intersect with your dissertation where you're kind of studying white evangelical culture and some of the idols of white evangelical culture? So I'd love to get your reflections just to kind of tantalize us thinking about Unite. Yeah, I mean, oh, man, that's a can of worms. I, I, I do think, I think we are, again, the culture, my PhD is in American culture, right, and social history, but um, race, immigration, and gender, but among white evangelicals. Uh, so we, I mean, we, again, adapt the cultural mores of the day. The church, what I have seen from my studies is for the most part, not everyone, but if you're looking at 30,000 feet dumpster fire since the 1750s is what I'm studying. So I think we have some good pockets here and there. That's not what I mean. Obviously the 1860s and abolitionism, but they were even countercultural. People thought they were just causing yeah. trouble. The rabble rousers, right? They weren't like, oh, we love you abolitionists. They were uh, yeah. troublemakers. Um, but what I'm saying is that what I found in my studies is, you know, we always hear whatever you think about like sexuality, gender and sexuality. Okay. Whatever you think about that, that's, this is really not what I'm trying to say, but I'm just going to use that for an example, because we hear in corners of the church and say, Oh, we're just reflecting the culture and gender and sexuality. I'm like, that is a, actually the church is countercultural on that. <laughs> They're like, be celibate. <laughs> uh, you know, um, if you're not married, you know, and that doesn't matter who you are, in, you know, in the United States, right? So, or, or what you think. So, or, I mean, I mean, your view on gender sexuality, if you're not married, you have to be celibate. That's it. That's countercultural, mm-hmm. you know? Stay away from pornography. Um, the, the culture is a, di- yeah. I actually think the teaching of the church is still countercultural on that, not necessarily the practice of the people in the church. But we never hear, like we're talking about, like the Unite Conference is like, okay, do not use power like business people or people, or, or I should say corrupt business people or people that just want to get more, 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 right? That's where yeah. you get the lady. We never hear any, I should say never, because we're going to talk about that at Unite, right? But we seldom hear a lot of people, don't be so greedy, you know, because in the same, mm. um, in the same verse, is it, wasn't it Colossians, the one nine, am I? Correct me if I'm wrong. We're saying these these people will not enter the kingdom of heaven. There's a debate about that, but it does say they're greedy. 
And Paul says that greed is idolatry. I actually think, and this is from my studies too, I think our initial, our initial, now some of my friends might disagree with me. I think our initial um, original sin was greed because we wanted to have so much. So then we justified the racism. I, at first it was greed. People wanted to get rich. So then they're like, oh, we can get rich because we don't pay people. We'll do the slave trade. That's my hypothesis. It's more of a, I don't want to say spiritual, a theologically based hypothesis. But I actually think greed was the original sin and it continues to be because uh, we serve God or money. And I think we, most of us serve mm -hmm. money. Actually, I said we, the church collectively. Money calls the shots, not necessarily what God wants to do, right? Uh, we're like, oh, we don't have enough money, so let's close this down. Well, why don't we have enough money? Are people not giving? Are they spending their stuff on other things? Mm. Like when I was young as a, a, you know, young girl reading the Bible, I'm like, I really could not understand. Like, you know, I was like little, why would you serve money? <laughs> like, mm. Jesus said you serve God money. And I couldn't comprehend it. And I actually think, talk about control. I think money controls a lot of things and with power, right? The more money you have, the more power you have. And I do have to agree with um, Father Stephen Freeman. He's an Eastern Orthodox priest. And he talks, he has a podcast called The, the Ring of Power, talking about Tolkien and power. And he mm -hmm. talks about how, you know, the people that have the most power are the most easily corrupted. So we have to be careful. Mm -hmm. So not only clergy burn out and exhausted, but in some ways, if you have an official position in the church, and even if you don't, you have to be aware, and I have to be aware of corruption. Um, so I actually think that money and power are ways that we bow down. We bow down to money and power. And so we're controlled by them. Um, that's one, one thing, not necessarily everywhere I'm going, but I think that's a lot of the reasons why I'm not saying it's all economics, but a lot of the reasons why a lot of, um, I could, I could demonstrate a lot of the reasons why that a lot of the, uh, atrocities and injustices happens because, of money and power mm -hmm. and also xenophobia, but money and power driving. Oh yeah. Um, uh, Chinese people, please come to America and build the railway. Uh, we're not going to put your picture on when the transcontinental railroad is done. You can stand around the photo and only the white guys are pictured with all these Chinese people around there who helped finish the continental railway. Oh, we're done with you. Now we're not gonna let you into the country, right? We mm -hmm. used you and we disposed of you. That's what we've done as a collective culture, right? When someone or something or some people can offer us money, come on, come on, come on, we'll use you. And then when they're no longer valuable or productive that way, goodbye, right? Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. I'm, one, I just want to say that is just such a great analysis. I love that. And I think like you're you're putting your finger on some of the the base operating systems in evangelical culture, especially like this idea of like we've often made Jesus the secretary of afterlife affairs. It's like, let's go to heaven, but not like the Lord right now who I challenges our great. allegiance. Yeah. I stole it from Brian Zan, who is also going to join us at Unite this year. There you go. Good plug. I'm curious, what kind of antidotes would you offer us to this corrupting power? What does it mean to form us in ways uh, that we actually rediscover the counterculture of Jesus? Become small. Mm. Say more. Well, I will say more, but what do you think I mean by that, Paul? And uh, ooh, that's good. I, when I hear become turning small, the tables, she's asking us questions. Yeah. Yes. So, so I think the moment I hear that phrase, what percolates with me is 
an awareness of, of the ways I make myself big, both the false self, the ego, mm-hmm. and the structures that I exist in, that mm-hmm. I am a white Caucasian male in a affluent country. What does it mean to be small in regards to that? Um, there's so much I see there. And primarily, like, an- another thing that's kind of percolating is this idea of I often make my my voice the loudest in my life. Mm-hmm. And I would need to diminish that. I would need to die to self. Mm-hmm. I, no, think it, I, think it's, I think it's similar. I want to weigh in. Okay, because, you weigh in. Uh, I think yeah. it's similar dying to self, but... Everything in our culture right now is telling us that we are big. We are bigger than we are. Mm -hmm. So it's telling us that we have more access to knowledge than we can actually know what to do with. Uh, It's telling us that we can know more. Like it's telling us we're omniscient. That's what social media tells us. So it tells us what I was just, I was just going to say to your point, one of the most insulting things you can call someone these days is average. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, if you say wants, you're average, be, even, yeah, who wants who to be wants, average? And social media is conditioning, conditioning us that average, that average and limitation and normal is bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're omniscient. Average is bad. So everything is telling us that we we can be gods. We can control the world. Our technology is giving us an inflated sense of our own capacity and ability and so when I hear you say we have to shrink ourselves, I, I hear you saying uh, we have to right size our self assessment that we are way more limited. We have way less power. We are finite. We are in many cases broken. And that's actually the container for where God fills in the deepest, most profound way. If we can only shrink ourselves to fit him in that way. That's what I think. All those good things. I mean, I would say exactly right. Listen, we act as we're superhuman. We're not, you know, we are not, we, you know, we get tired. So like, if you're a pastor, you're someone listening or you're a mom, whatever, a mom, a mom, a woman that's a pastor, whatever, whatever you do is we try to function beyond our limits, right? Like, and we can't do that. And I think that's part of the reason we're exhausted. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I mean, I'll give you an example from my life. I'll tell you two messages that I hear. Because, you know, I, I published this book. I have five, another one coming out, I think, in a year or two. But you know what the publishing industry and people tell me? Get out there, Marlena. Sell, 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 sell. Do all this, you know, jump all through these hoops. And I'm like, I, for, like the first time I'm like, I tried that. I'm like, no, this is not me. I'm like, forget it. I mean, I am probably killing my book sales people. But you would be I'm, a good Canadian. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I am not going to sell my soul and just exhaust myself for a book. I mean, mm. I believe in what I write, but this, I'm not saying that people that do all these things are not doing it. But for me, right, I was like, no, I, I, I'm a professor. Um, I will put the book and publishing in its proper place. It is not my life, right? I am not... I feel like I am not, I am not just a writer or someone speaking out there. Look, my husband knows me. My children know me. This is what I mean. Shrinking yourself. If the people that know you best can give a good testimony about you because of how you love them, those closest to you. Mm. And that if you can do, I think the biggest miracle is to live our everyday life well. And what I mean that is with integrity, 
and to the best of our ability. And for some people that the fact, and I've said this for about 10 years, like if they just wake up in the morning, that is a win because they're so depressed. Right. Mm -hmm. So if someone's in that situation, they're not going to function. Some of us have a more capability to function in different ways. And someone that's depressed, well, they have a whole world of things to offer, but for them, just waking up, that is being faithful to God, putting your clothes on, going to work or whatever it is, you know, I don't know. And so when I say shrink is like, I mean, just actually, and I do say this in the book, would the people around you say that you loved them and cared for them? Or would they just say, oh, that's a good preacher and speaker, but they're gone all the time. You know, like, I, I don't know if I shared this in the book. I don't think I shared this. And I'll end here to explain what I mean by shrinking. But I was thinking about this book when I was writing it. And so I said to my oldest daughter, her name's Ileana. She's now 16. I think she was about 14. I said, Ileana, I'm not trying to be morbid, but if I died, what would you say about me? <laughs> like, and she does not, you know, the, well, at least my kids don't. Um, they're not hesitant to say what they think. Um, so I was preparing myself to hear all, like, all the sins that I know that I have and all the ways that I fall apart. Um, and she said, I would say that you really loved people, that you loved us, and you tried to help people, everyone you came into contact with. I'm like, mm. oh, my gosh. And she said, you and dad are real Christians. I'm like, oh, praise the Lord. Because <laughs> she's, a, she's a little bit cynical about the way that we are cynical about the church. I mean, she's 16 now, but she sees the stuff, right? Yeah. And I'm like, for her to say that Sean and I are real Christians, based on her seeing me day in and day out, to me, that is the best, uh, the best, I don't want to say, gift I can get, the best compliment. So I said, whatever it takes in your life for the people around you to see Christ looking back at them, hmm. I think that's what we're going to be judged for, right? Like we can't always live at 30,000 feet. Now I fly places. I speak to people and they're going to see me. They're like, Oh, Marlena, you're a great person. Well, I hope I am. But the real, the real truth of that is what does my family and closest friends, what did my church say about me? Right. That's what I mean by shrinking. Can the people that don't spend, that spend the most time with you, give you a good reference mm. for the kind of person, or you just talk a lot, a lot about spiritual formation and a lot about God, but your talk is not really aligned with your life. Mm. The closer they're aligned, I think that. So that means I have to say no to some invitations, right? And people will be like, Marlena, you're crazy. You're getting asked to go speak over there and you're saying no. Yes, because I have to take care of my students. I have to grade. Mm. I have to do all that fun stuff. I have to go to my daughter's soccer games. So some, I'm sorry, I, I wish I could go and it hurts me that I can't sometimes, but I have to say no to things that are good things. Because mm. I could, if I wanted, I could be gone all the time. So, so can you help I, us? Help us with. Uh, so, it's in the chat, mm -hmm. uh, Keith said uh, on the shrinking. Mm -hmm. So he said, "How do you, how do you shrink uh, yourself without diminishing? Essentially, diminishing yourself, like right. diminishing your voice, right? While while people like." I can own this. Like people like me need to shrink myself because I have an overinflated sense of my capabilities and power. Others have a underdeveloped right. sense of their capabilities and their voice and their value. So what kind of practices and, and what do you see in Jesus 
uh, as we are a Jesus-centered network trying to ground everything we do in Jesus and in the practices of Jesus. What do you see in Jesus that would help us shrink ourselves without shrinking ourselves? Well, I, 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 I'm going to turn it around for you guys to think about, but I will say this because it's going to mean different things. Like, listen, I grew up poor Puerto Rican woman. All the things against me, right? In the world. And I'm here talking to you. That's God, right? I mean, come on. Uh, my my life is a miracle that I'm alive. My husband always said, I, he, I don't know how you, you weren't on drugs or something else, you know, like with your the life, the, the difficulties in my life. Um, mm-hmm. So what I'm saying is look at Jesus. He had all things. He was a God of the universe. And he, if we're going to use the word, diminished himself. You know, he emptied himself so that he would be full of God. That's all we mean by shrinking yourself. That doesn't mean, and in fact, if if you're someone that says, you know, I, I don't have a great self-esteem. I don't use my gifts. I remember one time I felt like, God, why should I keep writing? No one listens to what I say. And everyone says the same things that I'm saying. So what does it matter? And then that was in 2017. The Lord said to me, Marlena, it is not about, you know, because the how many books you're, this is what people are, you know, the industry. He's like, if you were to stop writing and speaking, you would be, uh, burying your talents. And I know, and I'm talking about burying our talents in a colloquial way. I know that's not exactly what it meant, right? But I'm just saying, yeah, we are called to use the gifts that God's given us. And that's what he's called us to do. It's okay if you're good at something. It's okay if someone say, hey, you're good at it. Thank you. But when that becomes your God and you start to serve it, then you have a problem. So if someone um, doesn't think highly, just think about Jesus who was everything. It doesn't mean that you just, I'm going to tell you right now what it is, is that you think of yourself accurately. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. The way that God sees you. God says, I love you, but you're not God. You have gifts to use, but you're not God. Like I, I'm the captain of the ship. And so in the end, don't take over. Don't hijack the ship. Even though you're the ship carrying me <laughs> in my metaphor, but don't hijack it. Let me steer it. I'm going to go places sometimes like Jesus uh, said to Peter, you're going to be led places you don't want to go. Right. But as we obey God, our joy uh, is complete. So I think that diminishing isn't like not using your gifts and what God's given you or whatever amount of money you have. I think it's, it's, it's knowing it in its proper place and bounds, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. So I can't say for you exactly what that is, but for me, like I told you, for me to answer yes to every invitation to speak, that's going to be on my bounds and that's leaving my family in the dust. So I can't do that. Well, thank you so much for just hanging out with us here on the podcast. It's been such a joy to just like pick your brain. Uh, Before we head to a time of question and response, some Q&A from our live listening audience, I was curious if you might share where are you experiencing hope these days as you look at the church landscape around you, as you are experiencing your own bearing with God what is the place that's sustaining hope for you? So as John said before, you know, if I look online, dumpster fire, right? Because the algorithm's like, who's ever most full of rage, whatever. But I'm like, my seminary students, my children, my husband, the, I'm looking outside, the beauty outside of creation. Um, I find hope in the, yeah, again, not looking at things at 30,000 feet, but Everywhere I've traveled in the last three years to different churches, talking to people, 
reaches. I'm like, there's a lot of powerful people. Even Pope Francis said, there's a lot of saints. Uh, it, it wasn't, in, maybe he said the Vatican. I think he said someone else, but the people, the saints are the quietest people. They're not the ones bringing attention to themselves, right? Mm. Um, and I talk about that in The Way Up is Down, like Sarah Smith of Golden Screen and C.S. Lewis is The Great Divorce. She was a queen, but on earth, no one really knew who she was because she was quietly faithful. So that's where I find hope. The faithful people in my church, I'm like, People like the, the church is a piece of garbage. I think in some places it is, right? And we need to be sanctified. But there's a lot of faithful people. It's just we're looking at it again from just 30, because we live at 30,000 feet, you know, uh, on the media, whatever. Let's go down to earth. What's going down to earth? Being humble, right? The, we're hummus the closer we are to the earth. <laughs> when we're down to earth, when we're humble, we see the things around us. Um, it gives us eyes to see. And so I feel like that's where I find hope. I find hope in what you guys are doing. Mm. So when I found out about all the wonderful things, so that's where I find hope. Well, thank you so much uh, for, for just sharing your places of hope. I'm going to invite Lisa now to join us on the podcast to kind of Hi, be the voice of the people. Hi, friends. And uh, yeah, over to you, Lisa. The voice of the people. That sounds pretty weighty. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was thinking, um, Marlena, you sort of touched on a few things about being countercultural as pastors, and that's also an invitation we should have, obviously, to our communities. And one of the things you said that you've been doing is, you know, I know I have to say no to invitations, mm-hmm. which can seem countercultural when you're trying to sell books. But what mm-hmm. are some of those other practices that we can invite, like specific spiritual practices, maybe is the gift of saying no, to our communities so that we can be countercultural as a whole community. Um, I actually think, I think pastors should practice saying no, like unless there's like a severe accident, right? And you have to go like, can I put, can I put this for later? Like, do I have to do it right now? Right. The tyranny of the urgent. It's a tyranny, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, can you, can you, schedule i think every church should let their pastor have days where they just do nothing once a week so that they can serve well i actually think that you're and i'm talking apart from your sabbath day right i ah, think you yeah, just have okay. a day where you could just be whether you choose to go pray lay in the leaves go running whatever you do because you need space you're saying in addition to sabbath so you're yes. saying you're saying the church should pay pastors to go lay in the leaves and read read and run, you're saying that the church should pay the pastor to do that. Why? Because you're going to be a better servant. You know how people talk about four day work week? Like, listen, and I'm your, I I have the European mindset. I would take a siesta at the middle of the day. In fact, sometimes I do. (laughs) I love that. Right. I'm a big fan of that. I am energized. Yes. I'm energized. (laughs) Because people are like, how do you get so much stuff done? Well, my husband supports me. And maybe it's because I only do so certain things and I don't cram my life. I'm not saying I'm perfect. I just buy anything. But I mean, I, I try to like focus on what's the most important and then let the rest fall in this season of my life. Right. So I think pastors and people need space. I, I mean, people. It's not just the pastors. So like. You know, can we create more silence in our actual worship services instead of being noisy all the time? Can you, can we train 
our people and train ourselves to silence and solitude. I think that'll be healing, actually, to create space in our lives just to be. And then our doing will, or I mean, our doing, yeah, I talk about this in the book. I'm not even going to get into it. But my point is that I think we just need time to be, to be out in nature. I think we're living unnatural lives, both the speed Mm. and unless we're homebound and we can't get outside for some reason, that's a different thing. But try to get out in nature as much as you can to reorient yourself to what's true. And that, that certainly works against our economies of scarcity and yeah. our assumption that we need to be producing people, human producers. Mm-hmm. Like to do nothing sounds so scandalous in economy. That's a capitalist mindset. Yeah. And it's also like Jesus, like, I need to get away. Sorry, I can't heal people anymore. I would have been mad if I was a lo- next one in line. Jesus didn't heal me. I mean, let's be honest. Sure. But <laughs> I yeah. think you just have to be like, it is very countercultural to to live at the speed that the rhythms of your life. And they're going to be different than my life. Right. Because there's some people they'd be like, Hey, Marlene, I spent time alone, especially elderly people. They're widowed or something. I mean, the church is not just made of up of like 20 to 50 year olds, right. Or 20 to 45 year olds, uh, you know, children to, they're like, I I'm home all the time. I'm like, so in that case, you need to engage and be with people more and the church needs to engage you. But there's other of us that we need to back off from engagement so that we can uh, become who God wants us to be. I mean, that's why like in the desert, like all the wisdom comes from the desert and the wilderness, the people that spend uh, time in silence and solitude to do what you're doing at the Jesus collective. You need time of silence and solitude or you're going to fall apart or you're going to get a big head or I'm going to get a big head, right? To accomplish what you want to accomplish you need time to be with God and hear God. And then people say, hey, I know they've been with God. Mm. I know there's people that talk about God. I'm like, I don't know. I don't think they've been with God. <laughs> I know they're talking about him, but I don't think they've been with him. Come on, there's, no power, there's no power in what they're doing. It's preach. all about them. Yeah. So you could tell, like the disciples, you could tell they've been with Jesus, right? Mm. In Acts. Wow. Over to you, Lisa. What else yeah. are the people like, saying? Wow. Well, you the whole like, you would rather, I would rather, like you said, your daughter was able to say who you are. Like you would rather your daughter be able to say, I know who you are. You've been with Jesus and that's who mm-hmm. you shine. Then mm-hmm. you're just somebody who talked about him, mm-hmm. but didn't live that kid's beautiful. You talked about that we kind of have a natural instinct. Well, not everybody, but this natural instinct, like if you want to see evil, you're going to see evil. Um, or if that's mm-hmm. what we're expecting. Um, so what are some of the filters or how do we know if our filters are askew what can we be looking for either in ourselves or helping ask others to be open to what others can point out to us so we know that our filters aren't accurate yeah i mean i think if we're negative all the time and all like or you just like you know you can't even turn on the news now because you're so weary because that's all you see. like we are not made to imbibe 24 7 news cycle i haven't watched the news in like three months or four now that and listen, I've read a lot of stuff, but I haven't watched the news, right? Or, yeah. or looked at the news. I'm like, listen, if something bad happens, someone's going to tell me. I did not. My husband, Sean, was like, did you hear this? I'm like, nope. Did you hear that? Nope. I missed all the evangelical stuff, whatever the blow ups in the last four or five months, whatever. What? How can you, how can you survive, Marlena, if you don't know all the stuff that's happening? I'm all out the- of the loop, right? But my husband's like, hey, there's a war in Israel and, uh, you know, 
I will find out about bad stuff. So I know there's a war happening. I'm, I don't know all the details. I have seen a couple of images, but you know what I do? I'm like, okay, I don't have to watch that all the time. I can pray for them because I believe God hears prayers. And like I said, somewhere God is in that living hell, right? In our living hells. I don't know how, and I pray for peace, but that's what I do. I'm like, I'm an informed person. I don't need to watch the news. It's basically the same thing with just a little bit of different clothes on it. It's the same thing over and over and over again. Um, and um, I have to tell you, though, that doesn't mean I don't act. I think it acts. It helps me act better for justice. You know, Greg, Greg Boyd uh, contributed to our book, The Gospel of Peace, an uh, uh, academic book um, in, in a violent world. And I actually think if you're centered, for, if you're formed, you'll be able to act justly better instead of, you know, how some people that are uh, very active in justice, but they seem as just as mean as the fundamentalists. Yep. Yep. Preach. Right. So it's like they're not there's something not being formed. And it's especially people that are active in those areas that need it. I would say if you're active in stuff like that, hard things, if you're a counselor, please dock your ship on shore. Take a fun time. Don't count. You know, if you, I don't know if you can take time off, but do whatever it can to that not that be your life. Right. So do something different. Marlena, this has been really helpful and encouraging. And I've really appreciated to this Q&A time. And we just want to thank you for speaking in a little bit here to our community. We want to thank you for uh, the time that we'll have with you in the future in in april in st paul and we want to offer blessing to you for the work you're doing and the ways that you are helping leaders be formed in jesus so thank you so much for for your time and we are going to transition uh we're a relational network of Mm -hmm. like-minded churches and leaders and we like to connect with each other so we're going to transition to some breakout rooms and in a few minutes, but uh, first, I'm going to hand it back over to Paul, who's going to kind of wind down our podcast. Thank you so much. It's been an honor to be here and to see see you all. I'm very encouraged just by your presence. Yeah, thank you. Well, thanks for handing it over, John. And yeah, I just want to express my appreciation for Marlena for just taking some time to hang out with us and share your insights. Um, This has just been a very rich time. I want to remind all those uh, that are tuning in that if you want to engage more uh, with Jesus Collective to check out our website, Uh, we have some great opportunities and events that are always uh, being featured there. We also want to just let you know that if you're curious about partnering with us and taking that next step of like getting to be a part of this relational work, you can always reach out to a staff member or send uh, an email to our info at jesuscollective.com. Uh, we'd love to connect with you and in, uh, and empower you and equip you in, in ways that, that you can also help us in that capacity. So again, to our viewing audience and our listening audience, thanks for spending this time uh, pulling up a, a seat at this podcast table and we wish you all the best in the places you find yourself here's to keeping jesus at the center god is at work raising up a movement of churches ministries and disciples all around the world that are passionate about advancing a more united and hopeful jesus-centered jesus-looking kingdom if you're a listener today i'm sure you can see and feel that so Can I ask you today if you'd help us amplify this Jesus-centered movement? 
Can you share the podcast, blog, and social media channels? We are on a mission to equip a centered set vision of a church renewed by Jesus by investing in the renewal of its leaders. Would you consider making a financial investment in Jesus Collective today? Is anything stopping you? If not, go to JesusCollective.com. Your investment means we can advance and amplify this Jesus-centered movement, investing in pastors and Christian leaders globally. Hey, and don't forget to make sure to check out our website for upcoming events. We've got a ton of great things happening.